Good morning and welcome to Fellowship Bentonville. Uh, we are glad that you're here and you're worshiping with us this morning. If you're brand new, if you're a newcomer with us this morning, we're especially glad. We hope this morning will be an encouragement to you, uh, moving even. Uh, we'd love to get to know you. The best way for us to do that this morning would be after the service, use the community booth where our, our welcome and connections team is there. They would love to say hi and answer any questions you might have. Uh, what you'll experience this morning is that this service is unique for us. Uh, it's a service where we are preparing our hearts and our minds as we lead up to Easter week next week. This week began in a heavy tone, didn't it? On Monday, we all heard about the news of a violent school shooting in Nashville. The week ended on Friday as we saw the news about a tornado creating disaster and havoc in Little Rock and Central Arkansas. What we're reminded of is that we are a people who still live with the effects of sin and the fall, which means we are a people who need a rescuing Savior. We need a deliverer. Well, here we stand on this Palm Sunday morning, and it is the beginning of Passion Week. Passion Week is Jesus' last week of his earthly ministry. And this week acknowledges in full measure the coming of that rescuer. So we will observe something called a tenebrae. Tenebrae is a Latin word that means the darkening. And what you'll experience this morning is the, the Christ candle, the light right behind me here will gradually be lit with other candles as we talk through and read through and sing through his ministry and then extinguished as it leads up to his cross. This weekend, as we celebrate uh, Easter weekend, uh, we will have a time of both celebrating his death, his burial, and his resurrection. As the services look forward to next weekend, we'll have Good Friday open in our student center and you can come and have some time of reflection as well as communion any time during that uh, opening time, which is noon up through right after dinner. And you can come during the uh, midday, after school, come as a family, come as an individual, your choice. And then on Sunday morning, we will celebrate the resurrection together. Here's what our schedule will look like on Sunday morning. We will do normal services here at 8.45 and 10.30 on campus, all together uh, worshiping as an all-church family. But we will also have, at the same time, a 10.30 service outside at Orchards Park. Right now, Orchards is, or weather's predicted to be 70 and sunny. So if that holds, uh, my hunch is a good chunk of us will be out in the park uh, worshiping there. If there's rain or other inclement weather, uh, we'll communicate through social media and e-news and the extra services that we'll do in the, in the building and on campus. Could I ask you to stand this morning? And as you stand, I want to ask if you would move to the middle and close out every chair between you, because as you've seen, it's purposely been darkened, and as people come in, we want them to be able to experience the same thing we're going to experience this morning. Communion will be passed later in the service, and when it is, hold it, and we will be led through eating and drinking of the elements. Let me pray for us as we come to the Lord and celebrate his coming rescue. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we recognize you, the triune God, are the hero of our story. You're the one we love. You're the one we adore. You're the one we need. And so you're the one we look to this morning. We would ask that Jesus would be raised up and magnified in ways that our hearts and lives and minds would be moved. Draw our attention to you. We are looking and listening. with me.
won't stop the light from getting through. Do you wish that you could see it all? Well, she was somewhat of a nobody from nowhere, with very little to hope in. Her cousin was important, the daughter of a prestigious priestly line. Her husband-to-be had an impressive lineage, the descendant of kings. But what Joseph saw in her, she would never know. Mary was just a girl in a little town and praying that one day God would do something. He'd been so very quiet lately, 
and didn't really speak to his people anymore. Why? Why was that? Had he forgotten them? I mean, what are priests and kings anyway when God has turned his face away and Rome rules the world? But then came the news. No public announcement in the temple from a priest. No royal proclamation from the courts of a king. The angel came to the girl. From the throne room of God to the house of a peasant. And he offered her grace, the favor of God. And he promised a son. And in this boy, heaven and earth would collide. This boy would be the son of God and the son of man. He would be the hope of Israel, the prince of peace, the promised one. It's quite a lot to ponder for the young girl sitting on a dirt floor. Now Caesar wanted to count his people and to raise his tax, to build his armies, expand his borders, and above all, to make his own name great. So he ordered a census, which is a burden of travel and expense to remind the world that he, Caesar, is Lord. Little did he know that he was but an instrument in the hands of the Lord of heaven. See, Caesar's census sent the girl and her husband to Bethlehem, the city of the king. But there was no palace in the city. Mary had no place even to lay her head, just holding on to a promise and a hope. But they were given a stable, a place for animals. And that, that stable, that is where the new king entered his city. And with a beautiful mosaic of animals bleeding and angels singing, shepherds lifting hands and wisdom bowing down, from the throne of heaven to a feeding trough crib. It's quite a lot to ponder for a young girl sitting on a dirt floor. Well, in the coming years, as the boy king grew, his parents were faithful to their God and their vocation. So each year, his family made the journey to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, which is the time where they remembered God's rescue of his people with the sacrifice of a lamb. And one day, when Mary and Joseph found their misplaced boy in the temple, discussing the purposes of God with the teachers of the law for hours on end, his explanation to his panicked parents was simple. He had to be in his father's house. Such wisdom and understanding in a boy so young. The observers pondered, perplexed by what this could mean and who this little boy could be. But the young boy didn't ponder, nor was he perplexed. He knew exactly who he was and where he belonged, with his father and with the lambs.
Well, 20 years later, that boy grew into a man. He lived a quiet, steady life, the life of a carpenter's son. No one important even knew his name. Then one day, the carpenter's son came to a river where he met another man named John. John had promised that someone special was coming, someone who would bring the Spirit of God. From the river, John saw that very man coming towards him, and he knew. Here he was, the Lamb of God. The carpenter's son entered the water with John and asked to be baptized. All of Israel had been coming to John to turn from their sins, to be cleansed in the waters of the Jordan. And here was the lamb joining the people. He had no sins to confess, no darkness to turn from, but he joined them nonetheless. And as the waters parted and the man rose from his aquatic burial, heaven was ripped open. From this violent intrusion into our world came a gentle wind, the spirit hovering over like a dove, over the man and the waters. Then a voice spoke, and the voice was deep and powerful, yet tender and gentle. And it said one simple sentence, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. These words seeped into the man's heart and mind. What he knew all his life had been affirmed. He was not of this world, yet had come into the world, and he was loved by his father. This affirmation took a shocking turn, though, as the gentle spirit cast the man into the desert. Amidst wild and vicious animals and harsh conditions, the man fasted and prayed. But he met more than just animals and hunger in the desert. He faced off with the devil himself. And Satan went to work as he had in the garden and now in the desert, no lush fruit and comfort to point to the Father's affections, but only one simple sentence still singing in the ears of the servant of God. But this time, this time the word of God was enough. This man was not like the one Satan had met before. This man knew who he was and where he belonged with the Father and with the lambs. And so, he responded to the enemy's lies with faith and fearlessness. I will serve God and God alone. This moment was more than just an affirmation, it was a calling. The man had the blessing of his Father. He had been commissioned. The ripping open of heaven an invasion had begun. God was taking back his world. The king had arrived. And God had a face, he had a voice, and he had a name. His name was Jesus.
So Jesus went to work. And his first task was an announcement. See, for 400 years, God had been silent. And the people of God had lived under oppression from a foreign enemy. And righteousness, it seemed, was no longer in vogue. Jesus passed through the waters, planted his feet by the river's edge, and declared, the time is now. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. He gathered to himself 12 sons of Israel and called them his apostles. He spoke on the law of Moses and showed Israel how to walk rightly with God. The enemies of the king lashed out. In fact, demonic forces recognized what mankind did not. That was this. Someone greater had arrived. Jesus didn't do battle with them. No, he commanded them. No incantations, no blood, sweat, or tears. He simply said, get out. And the forces of darkness obeyed because the king was here and deliverance had come. Now, early in his ministry, Jesus found himself doing something outrageously ordinary. He went to a wedding. However, the celebration stalled when the wine ran out. And Jesus didn't sit back and condemn the frivolous celebration. Instead, he turned pots of religious water for cleansing sin into wine and kept the party going. When thousands flocked to the hills to hear the shepherd teach, he looked on their hungry state and felt compassion. The lawgiver stood on the mountain in the wilderness, looking to heaven and provided bread for the people of Israel. Wine for the feast, bread for the broken. The king was here and victory had come. Well, one night as Jesus and his followers traveled across the sea, the son of God did something surprising. He took a nap. Heaven and earth in the stern of a boat. Fully God and fully man. That night as God took a nap, a storm overtook the men. The winds roared and the waves crashed against the fishing boat as cursed nature threw all it had against them. The disciples cried out in terror, would God let them all die? Then Jesus awoke and a voice both powerful and deep, yet tender and gentle. He said to the winds, hush. And the winds recognized the voice of their master. Stillness settled over the seas while a question stirred in the hearts of the twelve. Who is this man? The king was here, and salvation had come.
So, Jesus turned south and fixed his eyes on the far-off city. He began a steady march to Jerusalem, with the twelve trailing behind. No quiet entry this time, no stables, no nameless birth. The king was here, and the reckoning had come. He mounted a donkey as the city swelled with Passover pilgrims coming to sacrifice their lambs. The procession drew the attention of the crowds as they called out, Hosanna, save us now. After all, what are priests and kings when God has turned his face away and Rome rules the world? And so, the new king entered his city. Jesus visited the temple. As he had done every year since his youth, he looked upon the floor, the very floor, where he once sat discussing the word of God. But he saw no teaching. He heard no prayers from the nations. Rather, he heard the bartering of trade as lambs were bought and sold for the redemption of Israel. An invasion had occurred, and the trade of the world had corrupted the house of prayer. And Jesus cried out, what have you done to my father's house? This was to be a house of prayer for the nations, but you have made it into a den of thieves. 
And Jesus threw over the tables, disrupting their business. He did not bargain, beg, or plead. He simply said, get out. But the religious leaders did not recognize their master. Who is this man, they asked, that he thinks he has the right to this house? So they tested and prodded. They challenged him on every controversial issue of the day. But again and again and again, he proved himself to be superior. So they plotted to kill him and to end this temple scandal. And Jesus simply replied, tear this temple down where heaven and earth meet and in three days I will rebuild it. And every accusation you could think of was thrown at Jesus. He's a liar. He is nothing but a carpenter's son. He's insane. He's a blasphemer. He is the instrument of Satan himself. But he knew who he was and where he belonged, with his father and with the lambs.
as all of Israel had done for 1,500 years. Jesus and his 12 followers gathered together for their Passover meal. They remembered the mighty acts of God in ages past, before there were kings, before there were priests. There was a people, lost and enslaved. And there was a God who loved them. And there was a lamb who died. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread and gave thanks, looking to his Father in heaven. Then he broke it and gave it to his friends, saying, take it, this is my body. It will break for you. And so, in remembrance, we take and eat. Then he took a cup and again gave thanks to his father. And he said, this is my blood, the blood of a covenant, my promise, a new contract of grace with God's people, the blood poured out for many. He gave it to them and they drank. And so we take and drink. Then he led them all in a hymn of praise as he sang out, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I am your servant. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Then Jesus led his friends from the table. His time had come. He must go back to the garden. We will lift up the cup and the bread we will break. Remembering your love, we were falling through grace, but you took all our shame and nailed it to a cross. Mercy, mercy, as in. As they approached the garden, Jesus stopped. And he asked that John, James, and Peter continue further in with him. And he asked the others to pray. And he ventured further into this holy place and again stopped. And he looked to his closest friends and said, I am overwhelmed with sadness. Stay awake with me and keep watch. Then Jesus ventured alone into the presence of the Father, and he fell to his knees. The hour that he knew was coming had come. Jesus looked to God and said, Father, Abba, I'm here, and I know you, and I know everything is possible for you, so please take this path from me. Jesus wrestled with this cup that he had to drink and the pain that would come with it, with blood, with sweat, with tears. And all he heard was deafening silence. 
I don't pray to change your will, Father, but to accept it because I am your servant and I will serve God alone. So Jesus stood and he turned to face what came next. And the words of his father were still ringing in his ears from all those years ago. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And in this darkest hour, those words were still enough. Because he knew who he was and where he belonged, with his father and with the lambs. Never lets me go. 
Jesus looked up from his prayer to find his closest friends sleeping. And beyond the slumbering disciples was his 12th friend leading a mob. Judas approached Jesus and betrayed his master with a kiss. And as the soldiers approached, Jesus volunteered himself to be taken. And he asked that his friends be left alone. He loved his friends to the very end. And there was no greater love than this. went out to wake the Jewish leaders in the middle of the night, pulling them from their beds and from their families who had come together to celebrate God's redemption for his people. As they gathered for their mock trial, the leaders presented witness after witness who twisted the truth in an attempt to present a case for Jesus's condemnation. All the accusations fell to the ground but the leaders pressed on they mocked him they beat him and condemned him yet Jesus did not fight back finally the high priest asked are you the Messiah the son of the blessed one I am Jesus replied and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, coming on the clouds of heaven. They cried out in reply, He deserves to die. So they beat him, and they led him away. The only innocent man who ever lived was found guilty. The author of life was condemned to die. So Jesus came before Pilate, the Roman leader of Israel. He questioned Jesus, yet Jesus again would not defend himself. Silent as a lamb faithfully facing his fate. And seeing that Jesus was innocent, Pilate attempted to free him. But the Jewish leaders cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Would you have me crucify your king? Pilate asked. And the people of Israel declared their allegiance. We have no king but Caesar. Crucify him. So Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified.
of thorns on his head. They beat his back with whips and shards meant to break his body and tear his flesh. They placed the cross upon his back and forced him to carry it to Golgotha. Jesus, the firstborn son, carried the altar for his sacrifice up the mountain. But no substitute awaited him. He was the substitute. The Son of God walked among the sinners in the pool of the day. The crowds jeering reached a feverish pitch as they came to the place where it would happen. As the soldier raised his hand high, 